Hello and welcome to BTC Radio. I'm Kevin Mitchell, founder of the Business Travel Coalition and your host. Our guest today is Diana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute. As an economist, Dr. Moss's work spans both antitrust and regulation with industry expertise in electricity, petroleum, agriculture, airlines, telecommunications, and healthcare. Today, we will discuss a white paper published last week by the Institute that argues that the United States Department of Transportation should routinely review antitrust immunity for international airline alliances to protect competition and consumers. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thanks, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's get right to it. Tell us a little bit about your career and the American Antitrust Institute. Yeah, so I'm, I'm an economist. I've uh, worked in antitrust and regulation for almost 30 years now. Um, very interested in, in the intersection between uh, antitrust and regulation as sort of complementary policy tools for promoting competition and consumer welfare. And certainly have that in airlines. Um, former federal regulator, I worked in electricity for some time. Um, and, you know, I've been at AAI for 18 years. Obviously, we, we are the, uh, you know, very involved organization in progressive antitrust. We advocate for more vigorous enforcement. Uh, we also advocate against uh, things like immunities and exemptions, which, which create loopholes for firms and, and markets and industries to avoid antitrust review, but also create, you know, uh, create more regulation for uh uh, you know, for firms that can potentially protect them from uh, from scrutiny. So certainly, antitrust immunity for the alliances is is you know is front and center in uh, in my interests and also the advocacy for AAI. I I think you make the point early in your most excellent white paper that we can no longer analyze domestic and international airline competition separately. Can you share your thoughts on on that with us? Yeah, and this is a this is really an overarching theme for how um, competition analysis for airlines uh, is done in the United States, and this really goes to two forms of analysis. One is is how the DOJ looks at mergers, airline mergers, and the other is how the DOT uh, looks at requests for antitrust immunity. Um, and and there's really been sort of a hard boundary around uh, that analysis, which sort of contains it to just uh, domestic markets. You know, what is the competitive landscape in domestic markets usually defined on a, on a route-specific basis? Uh, not much uh, in terms of modeling. There's a lot of economic modeling that goes into these mergers and, and these immunity requests. Um, with, uh, modeling that doesn't really account for what's going on outside uh, the United States in terms of entry uh, by foreign, smaller foreign carriers on, say, overlap routes, uh, or, or even what is going on within the United States uh, in terms of behind the gateway markets that are used by the alliances to sort of connect passengers to their ultimate destinations. So I think that we've reached a breaking point um, in the need to integrate uh, domestic uh, competition analysis with what's going on uh, in on the international scene. Those two, those two pieces of analysis, in our view, should be more tightly integrated so that we can account for foreign entry and its effect on domestic markets, uh, but also account for what's been going on in the U.S. with consolidation and higher levels of concentration in addressing these immunity requests. That makes t- tremendous sense. Now, just looking at the international part of this for a minute, there are some disturbing things happening on the international front. The big three, which includes Delta, American, and United, 
because of this domestic consolidation, are using newfound financial, market, and political clout to frustrate entry by Norwegian Air UK Limited and to urge the U.S. government to block Gulf carrier competition. And the big three are also, as you are, you are aware, are buying stakes in foreign carriers to exert control over their entry into U.S. markets. Do you agree with this? And if so, what does it really say about potential future outcomes for U.S. consumers? Yeah, so I, these, these, are, these are things that are absolutely a- absolutely happening. This is, this is, I think, a very coherent strategy for the big three carriers to, um, to attempt to control uh, the competitive landscape in the United States. Um, and, you know, by uh, opposing foreign entry, by uh, actually purchasing stakes in, in foreign carriers, uh, to the extent that they can have some control over over decision making that occurs uh, by foreign carriers, um, but I, but I think to fully understand why this is a, a deliberate strategy on the part of the big three, you know, we have to kind of reel build the tape back a little bit to to see um, why this is happening. And the reason why is uh, certainly over the last decade, we've had a tremendous amount of consolidation in, in amongst U.S. carriers. We now have the big three, uh, Delta United American. I wouldn't even call it the big four because Southwest uh, no longer uh, acts or, or like an ind- like a low-cost carrier. They price uh, and make capacities of decisions much like the, the big three legacy carriers. So we now have a tight oligopoly of carriers in the United States. States who, um, you know, are, are, are probably pretty happy <laughs> with the, the competitive situation um, in the domestic markets and so have really strong incentives to maintain that monopoly, to maintain tight capacity, to support fares, to, uh, you know, continue to oppose initiatives that give consumers uh, protections. And, and so, you know, the next logical step in, in maintaining that oligopoly is to is to make moves to keep out foreign entry, which is a real threat to domestic competition. And we've seen, you know, how it's a threat because we've actually seen uh, the beneficial effects of foreign entry in the U.S. Yes, and it's so important to so many non-hub airports as well. Let's talk about antitrust immunity. What What is the genesis of these grants of immunity? And if you could, at a high level, sort of tell us what's the difference between the DOT's role and the Department of Justice's role. Sure. So, you know, the whole immunity issue is, is the genesis is, is part of a broader trade liberalization um, policy, you know, initiated a few decades ago in the United States as part of the Open Skies Initiative. Um, you know, and open skies are, are treaties, and you know they're overseen by the Department of State and other other um, other uh, federal agencies. Um, as part of an open skies treaty, um, which liberalizes trade between the U.S. and other countries, um, that sort of opens the door for different forms of cooperation and coordination. Uh, by carriers, by a set of international carriers. And that's where the alliances come from. And and so, you know, the carriers over time have come to the DOT to propose various forms of coordination and cooperation. And there's a whole range of this, um, as has been pointed out by a number of really important uh, analysts and economists. You know, it ranges from just interlining, meaning shifting passengers, handling passengers on connecting itineraries, sharing frequent flyer, you know, plans, code sharing, coordinating on pricing and scheduling to, to what we call kind of full metal integration, which is where the carriers um, uh, share revenues and profits 
and uh, uh, and they do that by uh, through joint pricing and coordination and scheduling. That last piece of coordination along this sort of spectrum is really the most troublesome when it comes to the competitive effects on U.S. Consumers, and that requires um, you know the DOT to approve an agreement that allows them to to uh, jointly price and coordinate on scheduling so that they can profit and revenue share. But but that type of agreement is anti-competitive, right? It eliminates a competitor in most cases, and so for that agreement to move forward, if it proves up benefit. Uh, then it ha- it has to essentially be immunized from from the antitrust laws. So those carriers need to be immunized in order for DOT to approve that type of joint venture agreement. So that's where the immunity comes in. And so DOT's standard is really very much a public what we call a public interest standard. Uh, it's a sort of a cost benefit. Uh, will there will there be significant public benefits from allowing? these otherwise anti-competitive joint venture agreements to proceed, um, and would they overwhelm the anti-competitive effects? DOJ, um, which, uh, you know, does not have jurisdiction here because of because of a statutory immunity, nonetheless provides input to the DOT. They've filed seven formal comments and immunity proceedings over the last, you know, few decades. They coordinate with the DOT on these requests. They have really encourage the DOT to look askance at these grants of immunity because of the competitive effects. And and that's because antitrust enforcers really, they don't have a public interest standard. They look at what I call the no harm standard, which is um, uh, whether, uh, you know, a grant of immunity would actually harm competition and consumers. So there is coordination between the agencies, but it is, um, you know, it is DOT that has the final say. Could you just clarify a little bit for our listeners the aspect of this that is uh, foreign ownership laws and how that kind of complicates uh, cross-border mergers? Right. So so the foreign ownership laws, um, nothing to prevent a U.S. airline from taking a stake in a foreign carrier. There are, um, there are restrictions going the other way in terms of ownership of U.S. airlines by foreign carriers. But importantly, there are also what we call cabotage restrictions, which prevent foreign carriers from initiating and terminating uh, service within the United States. So, for example, Norwegian Air, when they entered the market, um, uh, re- most recently, can initiate service in Europe and terminate it in the U.S., thus providing some competition to the immunized transatlantic carriers. Um, but Norwegian Air could, you know, offer service, say, from Newark to to Denver, Colorado. That that would fall under a cabotage restriction. So um, there are ownership restrictions, obviously. There are the cabotage restrictions, all of which, <laughs> you know, create some, you know, some noise around the strategies by the big three or the big four carriers to sort of, you know, solidify the oligopoly and to protect the the domestic oligopoly. So the growth, what's the growth of these grants of antitrust immunity? What, what's that been like over the last 20 or 25 years? And the antitrust enabled JVs and the alliances have their structures. I, I know you are noted that you mentioned metal neutral, but have they evolved in other ways over time? Yeah, so so there have been over 40 applications for immunity filed since the early 1990s. Uh, some of those grants of immunity uh, are now inactive. They've either expired or, or they've been withdrawn. Uh, right now, there are about 24 active immunized alliances um, uh, at the DOT. Uh, some of those are smaller subsets of the larger big three alliances, Star, Sky Team, and One World. So, you know, these are 
These are enormous alliances, and they've gotten bigger and account for significantly more international traffic over time. So, um, you know, 24 active alliances that currently, some of those are smaller. They've been, you know, they've been rolled into or folded into the bigger alliances, but definitely a trend towards uh, towards grants of immunity that cover more carriers uh, within within an alliance. So, uh, and, I, and I have a bubble chart in our, in our white paper that really shows that the growth in the size of these immunized alliances really took off uh, within the last decade. And that corresponds directly to uh, merger activity in the U.S. So really important takeaway here is that the U.S. carriers dominate these alliances. Their market shares have grown significantly because of merger activity uh, at the expense of their foreign partners. So, for example, in one world, Americans' market share has grown over time and British Airways' market share has fallen off. And we see that for every single you know, pairing of a U.S. and a foreign carrier uh, that anchor the, you know, the big, the big three alliances. Um, you, you know, we've also seen some slight shifts in DOT policy over time. As I said, they've been encouraged by the DOJ to oppose immunity in many cases. We're not seeing carve-outs anymore as remedies in cases where immunity would be problematic. We've seen what we think is a shift to slot divestitures. Um, we are seeing more recently uh, sunset provisions included in grants of immunity. For example, this most recent one between uh, Delta and Aeromexico does terminate in five years. Um, we continue to see five-year you know, review provisions included in, in immunity grants, but we're not seeing those reviews, those periods reviews as far as we can tell. Interesting and troubling. In addition to the campaign against foreign airline entry, the big three have also asked DOT to unwind virtually all consumer protections, and they've also withheld access to complete airfare scheduled inventory information from MetaSearch platforms and third-party travel sites. Have you seen this kind of anti-consumer behavior in the other consolidated industries that you've studied? Yes, I think they go hand in hand. I think as concentration increases and there is uh, there are strong incentives for carriers to uh, exercise market power either alone or collectively, you know, in an oligopoly. Um, usually, the next tree to fall is is a removal or a rollback of consumer protections. That is sort of the final uh, the final step in wrapping up or protecting a, uh, an, oligopoly, an oligopolized market. So there are strong incentives for the airlines to um, remove these protections so that consumers do not have the transparency that they need to make uh, choices about airfares. Uh, it also uh, impairs the ability of um, alternative distribution channels to function effectively and to provide competitive discipline. Uh, we've been fighting this battle now for several years uh, it's very important to have multiple channels through which consumers can access uh, information and purchase fares. But the ability of you know the ability of those different channels to function effectively is highly dependent on information that is provided to them. Uh, so you know think about it in terms of the airlines controlling the up oligopoly, but also extending their market power sort of down the supply chain through through the final distribution channel to the end use consumer. Until you lock that up and you do that through the removal of these protections and lack of information transparency, you really haven't solidified the oligopoly. So that's why we're so concerned about what's going on you know, with the DOT in terms of their initiatives to ensure transparency, which, which seem to have all, all but disappeared in the last couple of years. The other thing that's connected to this that you don't 
really see discussed too much is that there's two separate marketplaces. There's the marketplace for commercial air transportation services and there's the marketplace for travel services. The airlines compete directly with these online travel agencies and with all manner of agencies. So when they do things to harm their direct competitors in that space, I just don't see a lot of concern by the DOT in that regard. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, there, there should be concern. Um, I, I don't think the DOT necessarily is looking at the, at the you know, they need to do some lens adjustment here and look at the bigger picture and connect the dots between the incentives that are now strongly in place for the airlines to protect this domestic oligopoly and to, you know, to engage in strategies and push policies that carry that market power all the way down through the distribution channels to the consumer. Um, you know, it really is sort of the complete holistic strategy for entrenching the domestic oligopoly. I don't know that DOT thinks that way. And certainly with the incoming, you know, as of a year ago with the incoming administration, a lot of those initiatives to protect consumers uh, that DOT had started were, were dismantled or abandoned or, or you know, discontinued. Um, and and this, will, this really, really spells uh, trouble for the U.S. consumer and, and many of whom are travelers and really strikes at the heart of, of competition and uh, encouraging competition, not only at the airline level, but but all the way through these different distribution channels, which is really critical. And we've seen the airlines, you know, push a standardized distribution model. We've seen various moves to um, force consumers to the airline's own websites by putting surcharges on itineraries that are not purchased on uh, their their own websites. I mean, these are all different types of strategies and moves to sort of lock up the whole distribution channel all the way to the final consumer. Yeah, and it used to be all about cost reduction. In recent years, it's it's more about revenue maximization. So, in your white paper, you propose several policy prescriptions. Let's begin with one that's near and dear to me, which is routinely reviewing these grants of antitrust immunity. Can you tell us what your views are on this in general? Uh, absolutely. So, so immunities and, and exemptions from the antitrust laws really are disfavored. Uh, the Supreme Court has spoken on this issue many times. The Antitrust Modernization Commission has spoken on this many times. No really good reasons to grant immunities and exemptions unless there is really an overwhelming, overarching program in place to displace competition and replace it with some sort of other regime. And so, you know, part of the recommendations from the AMC, the Antitrust Modernization Commission and others, is you don't just hand out immunity and and call it a day. If you're going to hand out immunity, it needs to be reviewed uh, periodically to evaluate the underlying market conditions that may have changed in the interim. And that's what we basically point out in the paper, that market conditions in the U.S. have changed dramatically and it directly affects American consumers uh, through these grants of immunity for the international alliances. So absolutely, the DOT should be looking, doing periodic reviews. As far as we know, that doesn't happen. We have other good information in other regulated industries where, where reviews do happen. You know, I was formerly at FERC, uh, the federal energy regulator. When the commission handed out market-based rates, which was an enormous grant of authority to charge market-based rates as opposed to regulated rates, they reviewed those grants every three years to determine if the grant was still warranted or not. And the DOT absolutely should be, uh, you know, following the letter of their own final orders in these immunity cases and reviewing these grants. Interesting. Can you, you mentioned earlier basically that the DOT 
makes the final decision with DOJ in an advisory role. Can you provide a flavor of how the DOJ views antitrust immunity beyond what you've already shared? And if they had a more robust role, what changes might we see? Right. Well, I mean, the, the DOJ has been doing the same thing same, for years and years with the DOT. Very raising concerns about the elimination of competition on transatlantic routes, despite claims from the carriers that, you know, they will, their, their grant of immunity will actually enhance competition on those routes. Uh, DOJ has looked askance at these claims that uh, combining complementary networks will actually benefit, you know, behind the gateway and beyond the gateway consumers. Uh, they have re- recommended that DOT deny immunity. They have recommended, you know, pretty stringent remedies in some cases. They really are focused on the no harm to competition angle. And that is a, there is a bit of a disconnect between that and the arguments that DOT has historically accepted for granting immunity. You know, there, there seems to have been a, a, a pretty universal buy-in to the public benefits arguments for immunity that just are not borne out by the facts or by changes in domestic markets, which, which really cast a pall over, you know, the competition scene on the international routes. So without, with the statutory immunity still in place, DOJ will not have a role. The agencies can continue to cooperate and DOJ can communicate their views. But until we really fundamentally see a, a sea change or a shift in DOT's policy based on evidence from these multiple grants of immunity over time, I don't know that we're going to get any change interesting as well. What are some of the other policy recommendations that you have in the white paper? Um, Well, we think that DOT policy should really change in some fundamental ways. One is uh, they absolutely need to account for changes in domestic markets uh, when they look at the analysis provided by the companies justifying their public benefits claims. Um, This goes back to our initial, you know, conversation about how you know, immunity grants and mergers of domestic carriers really are, are conducted in a vacuum. And there isn't much uh, attention paid to what's going on outside the U.S. borders. So we want uh, the DOT to expand their frame of analysis to consider what's happened in U.S. markets, higher levels of concentration, hub dominance, you know, the whole thing. We also want them to consider uh, the role of foreign entry coming into the U.S. in terms of discipline and competition. Um, because of what's gone on in the U.S. markets over time, we think the DOT should absolutely be more skeptical about granting immunity. You know, the paper shows that we've seen dramatic increases in concentration at key alliance gateways and uh, handoff points. Uh, we've seen very little foreign entry on transatlantic routes that are immunized. All of that sort of strikes at the, the veracity of claims that immunity is going to you know, prove up a lot of benefits for consumers. Um, absolutely, they should be conducting these periodic reviews. And, you know, finally, we hear the argument from the carriers that they need immunity, more and more immunity to be able to compete against the other immunized alliances. That's a terrible argument for giving out immunity. Um, that assumes there's sort of an alliance market, which would be dominated by the big three alliances, Star, Sky Team, and One World. Um, and, and there's really no end in sight if the DOT adopts that policy. So if they hand out grants of immunity so that you know, these carriers can essentially bulk up to compete more effectively against another alliance. You know, when does that stop? There's no end in sight uh, until we have two giant, you know, international alliances that dominate the international markets and potentially really deliver harms to U.S. consumers. So I think what we're asking for is a pretty significant uh, mid-course correction 
potentially overhauled and how DOT is, is uh, handing out these grants. Excellent. And an excellent paper. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that about the white paper that you would like to address? Well, I think, um, you know, I think you raised some really good points that provide segues and connections for, you know, the impacts on U.S. consumers. And certainly that part of that is the whole distribution part, part of the question and how the airlines and the alliances are connected you know, to the distribution channels all the way down to the consumer. Um, You know, I think there needs to be significantly more advocacy on this issue. And I think a lot of organizations, including yours and others, have been advocating very effectively on this. I would note in closing that the Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust, Mr. Del Rahim, has really messaged out strongly a uh, disfavoring of immunities and exemptions from the antitrust laws. And in fact, there was a DOJ roundtable a couple of weeks ago where various members of the community came in and talked about the downsides of immunities and exemptions. So I think there's some receptivity to that at the DOJ right now, and hopefully some of that will uh, osmotically affect DOT policy as well. So I think we have an opening here for having a conversation about this issue. Diana, one question sort of a little bit outside of the white paper. In the press today, there was a story about Warren Buffett possibly wanting to purchase all of Southwest Airlines. And the story went on to say, you know, he has major holdings in the other network carriers. And that brought to mind the idea that the DOJ is looking at some of these investor groups as they go from airline to airline. And of course, if airline A says, this is what we're going to do in terms of capacity, that's information that can be shared informally with airline B and C. Should the DOJ be concerned about this? Yeah, so this this is the horizontal shareholding uh, concern, and and it, it really did start with the airlines, where you have you know, big investors who have stake in uh, a whole bunch of rival airlines, and because of that, they have very little incentive to encourage those airlines through voting on boards and policy making to really compete hard against one another. In other words, when you have a whole bunch of investors that hold shares of rival companies, in this case airlines, it really dampens incentives for those airlines to compete. Um, There's a lot of interest in this right now, not only at the antitrust agencies, but also in Congress. There's been some academic research that has come out uh, on both sides, quite frankly, supporting the horizontal shareholding concerns, but also disputing those concerns. So, you know, the economics um, literature is sort of in a state of flux right now. I think the agencies are monitoring that really carefully, but there's definitely more attention on that right now. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. I don't know if it's, if horizontal shareholding is, you know, is ready for prime time in terms of antitrust enforcement, but it could well be as we continue to see higher levels of concentration in key industries like airlines and healthcare and other venues. Well, that's great. And how can listeners get a copy of the white paper? Absolutely. Uh, go to the website, uh, antitrustinstitute.org. It, it is right there on the homepage. Uh, they can click on it and, and read it. And we're, we're always very happy to hear comments or reactions back through our general mailbox. I would encourage people to do that and also to reach out if they have any questions or comments. The white paper is very much intended to provoke more discussion and scrutiny of this really important issue and really appreciate what you do, Kevin, and what others in the advocacy community do to help promote the interests of competition and consumers. Well, Diana, thank you so much for being on the show today. With uh, your level of expertise and insight, it's been a real benefit. So thank you very much. 
Thanks very much, Kevin. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this edition. For the entire team here at BTC Radio, thank you for tuning in.